The Fields Auto Group proudly presents Huddle Up, Huddle Up. with Bucky Brooks, <laughs> J.P. Shepard, John Osher, and NFL Network analyst and former Jaguar Bucky Brooks bring you the latest on your Jacksonville Jaguars. Everything's got to be about the future. It's got to be about tomorrow and bringing all that into focus as we, you know, attack the season. Huddle Up with Bucky Brooks starts right now. Welcome into another edition of the Huddle Up Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 6th. J.P. Shadrick with NFL Network analyst Bucky Brooks and Jaguars.com senior writer John Osier. And, of course, subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network on the free iHeartRadio app. We are three weeks away and one day from the NFL Draft. Bucky, good afternoon. Yo, what's going on? How you guys doing, man? What's happening? Great. Uh, Johnny is is fired up, ready to go. He's draft ready. He's uh, he can't wait for the twenty eighth. I'm getting more draft ready. I mean, I, I, I'm uh, reading Bucky's stuff at, on uh, Jaguars.com about the Jags and, and and talking to Bucky. So I'm getting ready for the draft. Uh, Bucky is my source of. Uh, of, of uh, draft enthusiasm right. and information. And, so. of course, we see Bucky all over the place now. Path to the draft is back yeah. every weeknight. What time does that air, Bucky, on uh, NFL Network? Uh, that would be East Coast time. That would be 6 o'clock mm. uh, each and every night, and we're talking about all things draft. Yes, and uh, who all's on with you on Path to the Draft? It's a uh, revolving door, an ever-changing cast of characters, but Daniel Jeremiah, Red Lewis are the primary um, guys on the show with me, but Charles Davis comes through, Brian Baldinger today is on, and then we have a few other guest appearances with a bunch of appearances by the top prospects in the draft coming on, and we're talking to them and interviewing them and all that kind of stuff. What do you – I mean, uh, Bucky, pre-draft interviews, everything is so – you know, staged, if you will, because they're controlled by agents. What do you get out of those when you talk to the guys? I mean, do you learn stuff when you talk to these kids? Uh, what I try to do is, like, some of the stuff that we do on TV, like, is fine. But, like, either before or after the interviews, when you're kind of warming them up and talking to them, you try and get a little insight. Sometimes if they're in studio and you have a chance to, like, pop on some tape with them, you get a better feel for what they know. Um and their maybe reasoning or rationale behind some of the things that they made, the decisions they made on the field. And so it can provide some perspective that, that helps you. The one that stands out to me was Pat Mahomes came in studio uh, before the draft. And I remember at the time, I don't know if DJ had him in the top 50. I didn't have him as like a first round pick. He was kind of like a wild child. But then when we sat down and interviewed him, his recall, like we could ask him about a play and he could like really – drill down and give you great detail and his memory of things that happened in his sophomore year and all that, it just made you kind of sit back and you're just like, Hmm, that's, that's beyond normal. And we've kind of found like with, with great players and those things, they kind of have that recall ability that you could ask them to play from high school and they could walk you through every step of what happened and how they were able to have success or failure on that play. Is that a similar mindset for personnel people, coaches in the building when these prospects come in here? Is it, is it the same idea? Do you want to sit them down in front of the, the whiteboard and, and draw out things, look at film with them? What, what happens during prospect visits? We got, obviously this week Aiden Hutchinson put out an Instagram video that he was here. There's been a few other prospects in. It's that time of year. What happens in one of those 
building visits for these prospects? Well, you know, like when you, you bring in guys like Aiden Hutchinson um, and you have an opportunity to, to be around him, he had the full 24 hours, so you get to bring him in the building, do everything uh, that you want to do with him during, throughout the course of the day. So that's a few different meetings uh, from the D coordinator to his position coach to people around the building, getting a feel for who he is and how he kind of fits into the culture that's established within the organization. And then with those meetings, what you're doing is you're beginning to assess where he is from an IQ standpoint, how he learns, how he communicates, what may be his preferred um, coaching style or the most effective coaching style that works for him. Uh, You watch tape together and you're able to kind of get a better feel for how does he plan his process on the field. So for Hutchinson, like, okay, this is this snap versus Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. You got a sack. What were you thinking? And if he's able to walk you through those kinds of things, you now have a better understanding. Okay, when we get him here, uh, he has a great IQ. So now we can maybe maybe accelerate the process. Or okay, this guy may be challenged in a couple of different areas. How are what's the best way for us to get to him? Is it more visual stuff? Is it more auditory? Does he need more walkthroughs? So you're trying to get a feel for who he is from a football character standpoint. But then you're also trying to figure out if he's with us, what is the best way for us to max him out in terms of helping him prepare to be at his best when it's time to go play. And some of it's just human nature feel, right, Buck? I mean, you're around a guy for 24 hours as opposed to five minutes at the combine. So there's only so long. I mean, at some point the defenses get let down, if you will, and maybe something about your natural personality comes out under pressure. That just sticks with a GM. I mean, it's hard to fake it for twenty four hours, yeah, five it, minutes. It, so yeah, okay. And so sometimes it's just these guys, if they're investing this kind of money into somebody, they want just a little better feel on some level that they may not know what they're looking for when they come in. But you spent twenty four hours around a guy, so something sticks out. Yeah, it's, it's everything, John, because you want a lot of people around him. Because what you're trying to do is get a full assessment of who he is, and so it might be a hey, wherever they put him up at wherever the, the, the hotel he's staying is, calling around and seeing, hey, how did he t- treat the people at the front desk? Was he problematic? Did anyone uh, around the restaurant kind of see him and serve him? What was he like? You, you really want to see if you can get a true feel for who are we bringing in so that you know, because what you're trying to eliminate are the surprises. You don't want someone to uh, come in where you feel like he's one way, and then you get him, and you find out he's completely different, and then it's too late. And so that's you want everybody around him. So from in, in my estimation, my past, like not only the football part, but maybe you have the, the PR people around. You also call around and see who picked him up from the airport. What was he like on the ride? Was he quiet? Was he talkative? Uh, was he arrogant? Did he treat the people nice around? Like all of that stuff factors into it because you want to do your due diligence much like if I was on the road and we just continue to use Aiden Hutchinson when I'm in Ann Arbor it's not just the people that I'm talking to around the football offices I'm talking to the academic people but I'm also going around town and I'm kind of randomly asking questions while I'm having dinner like hey does Aiden Hutchinson ever come in here what is he like have you seen him this and that is he all of that stuff as you're trying to kind of paint the picture because you're right. This 24 hours that you have on the visit, that's the only time that you get them. So you almost have to go into a covert uh, CIA operation to really try and figure out if the guy is what he portrays himself to be. 
Well, you just blew your cover, Bucky. I mean, for a CIA agent, I mean, that's not that's <laughs> priority number one is to, to maintain your, uh, you know, come on. So advice to, to prospects, tip big. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Hey, every, everything, everything matters. And, I, and I'll say this, just like the way I got into the scouting business, uh, when I go to Green Bay to work out, the guy who picked me up from the airport was John Snyder the general manager for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, our relationship started at that moment where we, we talked and all that other stuff, but we continued to build that relationship. But if I hadn't, have, if I didn't treat him well, if I was a, a, a jerk to him, there's no way that he would have been the first guy that I was able to call when I was thinking about getting a job or getting into the scouting business. And so that's why it's really important that you do lean on those guys who, may be deemed to be lesser than at that moment, but those guys are valuable because not only are they good works for the organization, but they get a chance to see those guys and how they really are because how they treat them is ultimately how they treat others in the building. J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Osher, the Huddle Up podcast. You know, I'm curious. The Jaguars have 12 draft picks right now. That's the most in the NFL draft, and there are some other teams saying, forget them picks, well, not well, using a different <laughs> F word, but um, wow. the Jaguars aren't right now. They've got 12 right now. So, you know, they've got 30 prospect visits, Bucky, they can use. General manager Bucky Brooks, how do you divvy up, um, you know, position groups, uh, levels of the draft, guys you want to bring in, you know, you're looking at deep rounds also. Some some of those guys might come in here and, and take a visit to the Jaguars also. Yeah, no, it's tough. You know, a lot of it is like, and you want to be careful and strategic about how you elect to use your visits because what happens is uh, once you submit the list to the lead, that list is circulated. So everyone knows who you're bringing in for visits. And now some teams are very transparent. Like the guys they're bringing in, they're out of that 30, they're going to pick some guys out of that. Others kind of send you on a bit of a wild goose chase um, in trying to assess it. From a personal standpoint, I think what you want to do is you want to bring in guys that you feel strongly about, but there may be a little missing piece of information that you want to get resolved. And so uh, whether it's someone who has had some character issues uh, off the field that you want to get hammered out and really have a clear understanding of what they might have been involved in to guys that you're trying to separate, meaning we call it the cluster buster. So, so you have uh, two, three, four closely graded guys. You bring them in, and you're trying to get the one that you deem to be the best fit, whether that's through personality, whether that's through having the conversations in the meeting rooms where you're like, no, nah, I like this guy. I think this guy probably gets what we want to do better than the other guys. And so it's a mix. And then finally, is maybe someone who's had some injuries that you just kind of want to see and – talk to them and, and do all of that. But everyone tr does it differently. But how I would assess it is I want to make sure that the guys that I'm very interested in that I spend as much time with because I'm investing in them and I want to make sure that they're going to be invested in us when they come. There's also that element, Bucky, at the top. Uh, we talked about this on uh, Reporters on Monday. The Jaguars might know exactly who they're going to take. Like right mm -hmm. now, Trent Baalke may be down there saying, I'm going to take uh, – Aiden Hutchinson. But if he gets a trade offer that he likes and he's going down to four, then you better have done the same research on Neil, mm -hmm. Aquanu, uh, Walker, 
so that you're completely confident four, five, six picks down. I don't know how far that goes. Uh, I'm always intrigued, though, and I was bucky about this. He may have already uh, sort of touched on it. When you're talking about the Jaguars in years past have drafted a significant, I think, number of guys in like the sixth, seventh round that they brought in for visits. Um, any idea why that percentage would be so high? Is there something that you're looking for from a late round guy that you just feel better if you've had him on a visit or um, I didn't know if I was missing something. No, I mean, I think sometimes like with your late round guys, um, being honest, like your sixth and seventh round guys are, are guys that you may deem to be priority free agents, but you want to make sure that you get them. You don't want to get into a bidding war for the services. And so you want to bring them in. And it's the same thing, man. You're trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, do they not only fit as players, but do their personalities fit? Are they great people that, um, kind of, kind of fit the mold of the kind of collection of guys that you're bringing in to change the culture within the walls of, of of the building. And so, it's a little bit of anything and everything. And every coach and general manager approaches it differently. But for me, I want to make sure that the guys that we're bringing onto the team that I really, really know. I don't want to bring in guys that there's some 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 blanks or some holes that still need to be filled in when we're heading up to draft it. I really want to feel good about everyone that uh, our perspective guys that we're like, okay, we're seriously considering these guys in these rounds. Let's make sure we know everything about them. The Jaguars are future focused and ready for a new look in 2022. Join us at the bank this season as head coach Doug Peterson and quarterback Trevor Lawrence lead the charge and to lock in your seats, visit jaguars.com slash tickets or call 904-633-2000. We'll look at the week ahead and answer some social media questions and get some answers from Bucky about what happened in New Orleans earlier this week after this. Welcome back to the Huddle Up Podcast. J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Osier. The upcoming Daily's Play schedule. Well, the spring season kicks off with Grammy Award-winning country duo Brothers Osborne. That's Friday night. Lil Dirk, April 19th. Osher, you'll be there, right? Uh, Big Dirk. You want to see his dad. Okay. Uh, Tim McGraw, May 5th. Erica Badu with Ja Rule and Goody Mob, May 6th. Later in the summer, two nights of Dave Matthews Band, two nights of the Lumineers, two nights of Keith Urban as well. Tickets at info at dailiesplace.com. Bucky, the elephant in the room. What in the world happened to North Carolina? Kansas had the biggest rally in championship game history to knock off UNC Monday night, trailed by... 16 at one point, and if they just kept on playing and not had halftime, I think UNC might have been able to win the game, but that, that long pause hurt them. Yeah, no, um, I, I think in those championship games, I think what you have to do is you have to keep playing, and you can't um, kind of deviate from the plan when emotions kind of rise. I mean, Kansas is a team that um, was the number one seed in, in 2020. They're a team that were experienced. They have pros. And you knew that they were going to make a run. I watched them early in the tournament come back against Miami with the same kind of vigor and intensity. I think the big thing for Carolina was they went down six. I think it was 66 to 60, held on, clawed their way back. And then, like, they're up one with a minute 49 left. At that time, JP, John, you just roll the ball and you see if you can finish it. Unfortunately for them, they couldn't. But 
uh, I think JP, you can relate being uh, an Alabama alum and someone who has been around a team that has gone to a few championships. For me, it's a little bit of a heartbreak, but I take solace in knowing that in my lifetime, we always go back. So I don't know, a couple of years, we'll be right back and we'll get it right the next time. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I, That's right. I don't talk about it much. I, if, there's a, if there's a basketball team I follow, it's Carolina. So I actually follow college basketball with more interest than I usually did in the last eight or nine days. Uh, it looked to me, Buck, like it was a team that really was playing well, had probably maxed out what it could do. And then when the big man got hurt late, it it hurt because he was so good. And uh, it seemed to me like they kind of gave everything they had. And then at the end, I thought Kansas was better. Yeah. They could have won. I I didn't come away uh, from that game thinking, boy, Carolina should have won that game. I didn't come away with that. No, John, like what's funny about it is the entire tournament, right, when I look at their path, for me, and I'm the – forever optimist when it comes to my team when I look at their path Marquette I was worried about <laughs> Baylor I was like man I don't know if they can win it UCLA and then it was the darlings of St. Peter's I was like man so three of the four I was like Ugh, I don't know and then the Duke game I was still like man they're not better than Duke I mean they can beat them but I don't know and so I kind of feel like the same thing with the Kansas game so when I walked away and clicked off the TV it wasn't like I was like darn it man we 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 should have won with the better team. It was more like, man, we're really close and we had it. Uh, it's probably going to sting that we didn't win it. But I think you're right when you say they kind of maxed out who they were. For this team to do what they did to get kind of all the way in and almost win it, that's about what it was. It, the heartbreak that I had was years ago when Villanova beat them on the shot mm. uh, at the end. Mm-hmm. That was a dagger that was a gut punch because I felt like we were better than them. This one I was like, eh. It would have been nice, but I don't know if we're the best team, you know, and which is funny because the tournament is like that because I'm like, I don't know if we're the best team. We're winning and say that we're the best, but I still don't know if we're the best team in the country. But survive in advance, and they got to the big games. Down yeah. one against Duke, Buck. <laughs> At that point, if they had told you you can win this and lose Monday, we, you would have taken it though, right? Yeah, but you know what, like John, I'm, once you I'm win, you want to win it. Yeah, I'm I'm the con- I'm not the consolation prize guy. So like, look, the thing with Duke was uh, when we beat him in the finale at Cameron, that was one thing, and I was like, man, I don't know if I want to face him again, this and that. But then there's kind of something. I mean, look, man, JP's like it's like Auburn, right? Like when you play your rival, like for me, arrogant. I'm like, it's Duke. Like, okay, but this is what we do. We beat them, and so then we're in the championship game, and you're like, no, nah, I want to win it. I don't want to, like, you know, you get a banner for the Final Four, but you don't get a chance to be the champion. So it's fine, but he still left a little meat on the, you know. This is the Huddle Up Podcast. Let's get to social media questions. We put the bat signal out earlier on Wednesday, and here's the best we've come up with today. Uh, Robert Coulson has a question. Do you think the Jags have any other surprises up their sleeves before the draft? Well, I mean, there's three weeks. If we told you, then it wouldn't be a surprise. Excellent point, John. Um, Bucky, do you think they um, maybe move around? I mean, they're, you know, they're running, I guess, kind of tight against the cap these days, so it's not like you're going to sign a bunch of big names anymore. Maybe re, re, yeah, no. re- move, move some guys around, maybe. I don't know. 
No, I, I think we kind of are where we are right now. Um, I, I think we're in a situation where all of the focus is on the draft. All of the focus is on making sure that you get it right. Um, it's funny on uh, DJ and I, we, maybe I, we had a conversation the other day. We were talking about um, looking back at the last five first round picks that every team has had. And when you, you do that, there's a, there's a, it's not a coincidence that the teams that nail the first round are the teams that are kind of in the conversation. And so for the Jaguars, I think it's really important that before you can even think about free agency, whatever, like the next month has to be really dialed in on making sure that you nail the early part of the draft. And we'll talk about how valuable it is for everybody to be a contributing member down the line. But what we know is you can't mess up in the first round, like the first round, uh, the first two rounds in particular, you have, you have got to knock it out the park. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, it has to be a home run, but you can't strike out. And so the guys that you take in, you know, first round, the second round, those guys need to be guys that come in and they can start and start fairly soon and become impact players because eventually those guys should form the nucleus of your program. It's funny, that mentality, it is how general managers think. Um, Bill Pullen used to say all the time when I was with the Colts for – those 10 years, you don't have to be a home run. You can't strike out. Doubles and triples are just as good as home runs. In the, oh, and talking about it over a four- or five-year period, speaking exactly what Bucky just said, when you look at your team over a four- or five-year period, you have to have gotten contributions from those 10 guys. If, if there's uh, 10 first- and second-rounders, uh, you don't need to have a whole, whole lot of holes because if you do, then all of a sudden those are holes in your roster – that you've got to go back and overspend in free agency to make up for. I mean, we, we've lived it for you the last 15 your, years here. Right. You spend your career chasing your tail, and you don't have a very long career. Right. So. That's, no, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, even in doing this, we go back and look at our last five first-rounders. Um, if we go back, so Etienne and Lawrence, let's throw them out. But if you go Caleb on Chasen, C.J. Henderson, Josh Allen – Taven Bryant, and Leonard Fournette. Like, Josh Allen is the only one that um, has popped. Yeah. The other guys, Bryant and Fournette, are gone. C.J. Henderson is gone. And Chasen, you're still waiting on. And so when you think about that, that's problematic because those guys were counted on, particularly Henderson, Allen, and Fournette because they were drafted in the top ten. They were not only counting to being starters. You expect those guys to be stars, like central members of your program. And so that's why you can't have the egregious misses at the top of the board because it leaves craters in your roster construction. Brutal. Yeah, I mean. Brutal. It goes without saying, but I know Josh Allen has not, you know, he's made one Pro Bowl. I don't know how you feel about his career if you're listening to this, but I would say he's a good player. Mm-hmm. potentially be a great player. I don't know where he's going to wind up, but how how much different do you feel about this team if every guy Bucky had just listed was on this team and equal to Josh Allen? Mm-hmm. Maybe not a superstar yet, but at least doing Josh Allen things at their position. Well, I don't think Doug Peterson would be here. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, know, you would have the, a, the general manager would probably – uh, yeah. Still be Dave Caldwell. I mean, the the head coach right. wouldn't be what it is now. I mean, that's so that's the important what side. it is, right? 
That is important. And, and just so, because we're in this thing, but, uh, and, and, and just raising the bar and the standard when we're looking at prospects, um, your goal, particularly when you're picking in the top 10, ultimately, when you give a guy that kind of grade or you select that guy in that category, your expectation is that he is going to be a top five player at his position within the next two to three years. The next three years, you expect him to emerge where he's knocking on the door to be in the conversation as a top five player at his position league wide. That's how lofty the standard should be. But within your team, when you're talking about a first round guy, your first rounders have to be not they have to be starters where you expect them to be solid starters that you plug and play. Those guys play for a long time and you're thriving with them. Your second rounders by design, those guys should be emerging starters. So what we mean by emerging starters is you expect them. If I'm drafted in the second round, the expectation is that you should be an emerging starter where you start by your second year. You should be heavy in the rotation your first year, your second year. You should be penciled into the starting lineup or rotating in as almost like a part-time starter. And then your third rounders are guys that might take a year or more, but they should be key contributors. Anything beyond that fourth round or lower is developmental prospects. And if you get anything from them, that is gravy. But those first three rounds, starter, emerging starter, and a guy that should be a developmental starter. Anything beyond that is gravy. And so that's why you really got to nail and spend most of your efforts on making sure that the guys you take within the top 100 are players and players that can help your team immediately. This is the Huddle Up podcast. Well, uh, Stefan Diggs signed a big extension with the Bills today. Four years, $96 million. Could be worth more with incentives. Of course, the Bills loading up with players this offseason. Wide receiver money around the league is nuts. Uh, look at Tyreek Hill's deal, Devontae Adams as well. That leads us to our next question on social media, our final question today, at John Heine 20 Even though it's unlikely to happen, what do you think is a fair trade involving Seattle's DK Metcalf? And what type of contract do you think he'll get when he signs a new one? Uh, you know, so here's what's funny, man. I'm probably a little lower on DK Metcalf than other guys. Why? Um, and the reason why is because when I see DK Metcalf, I think DK Metcalf is maybe masterful in his role, but I don't see him as a number one receiver. And here's how I'm going to distinguish it. It's kind of the conversation that uh, John and I had at the combine about DJ Chart. Uh, when you evaluate a number one receiver, the number one receiver should be able to do it all. Doesn't mean he's a burner, but he should be a great route runner. He should be the guy that you can depend on uh, to move the chains in a key situation. He is the guy who should be good enough to command double coverage and still defeat double coverage. He should be not necessarily flawless in his game, but he should be someone that each and every game, the opponent comes into the game plan knowing we have to stop such and such. When I think about DK Metcalf and the reason why I'm hesitant to call him a number one, He is a straight-line vertical playmaker and threat. His game is built upon home run balls and those things. It is hard for guys who are like him to anchor an offense. Normally, you need someone who is more the dirty work guy to do that. Because with DK Metcalf, when I look at his ability to run the route tree, I don't think he can run the entire route tree. So he's an intriguing athlete. He's a nice weapon that you would love to have. 
but I will hold off on paying him the Tyreek Hill money, the Devontae Adams money, the Stephon Diggs money, because I don't think his game translates like their games translate. That was outstanding. I mean, it, it's, uh, yeah. it, I think it sums it up. Uh, number one receiver, um, the best story I can tell you about that is this. I remember talking to Tony Dungy when Marvin Harrison was the number one, and he was clearly the number one Hall of Fame receiver. And I said, well, tell me why he's so important. And his response was, when Marvin goes to the line, if he's in the game, we know based on him being in the game and the formation to a certain extent how the defense has to play him. If they play him that way, then we know what else to do off of that, and Peyton can make his read off of that. If they don't play him that way, we score. Right, because you so, throw him the ball. So sure. having that as a uh, foundation piece of the offense where you go to the line and Peyton looked over, or the, or the quarterback, whatever, number one, okay, I know this guy is going to do this. It's easy to see the defense is going to slide this way so I know who's going to be open. And then if it's not, he's going to win that. Uh, that in offensive football these days – is critical because it allows the quarterback to do so much more as well. So uh, it's great if you can get one. It certainly <laughs> is. Thank you for the submissions on social media earlier today. We mentioned Path of the Draft each weeknight, 6 o'clock, leading up to the 2022 NFL Draft. And, Bucky, you'll be here with us in Jacksonville for Jaguars.com coverage of the NFL Draft. We'll have shows leading up to it. Of course, a draft party will be held Thursday, April 28th. More details on that to come in the next week or so. So ticket holders, check your email boxes next week sometime for the official word on the draft party. But, Bucky, we're looking forward to having you here in Jacksonville. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, one final point, yes. because we were talking about the paydays. As we – Bucky wants um, a payday, think, sounds like. Yeah, well, <laughs> speaking of. No, no, no. As, as we begin to think about it, and I think it's important for Jaguars fans to pay attention, like, what's going on in the league. Like, we're noticing how the money is being doled out. And you're seeing that the marquee positions are beginning to change a little bit. So um, it was always like the league was built around the quarterback, and that remains true. But now it's increasingly that it's built around the passing game because there was a lot of conversation about, oh, my God, Christian Kirk got this amount of money and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram, why are they paying so much money? But when you really look at it, teams now are being built around the P's, passers, pass rushers, playmakers and pass protectors and so when we look at how we prioritize the positions quarterback edge rushers you got to have pass catchers that are dominant and you better have someone that can protect so as we're looking at the number one overall pick and we're looking at some of these top picks in the first couple rounds if you're not necessarily loading up in those four areas it's going to be hard for you to win in this league because the best teams have blue chip players in those areas, and they're willing to pay big money to secure those talents. I've been on this topic all off season, and I'll ask Bucky this: In the next five years, do we see a number one receiver go over? I mean, uh, do we see a receiver go number one overall? I'll bet we do. I think we're going back to it. Uh, I think I think so. Like as John, like it, 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 it's funny because I was like, ah, well, you know, maybe you can get that guy outside the first round, and you can. 
And can, some of these guys that are getting paid, like it's funny because they weren't necessarily first round play, picks. Stephon Diggs was a fifth rounder. Devontae Adams was a second rounder. Tyreek Hill was a fifth rounder. Uh, the thing that you are going to have to make a decision on is when you develop a guy and you get him to the point where you pay him once, are you going to pay him again with the prices being what they are? Last year in the top 30 in terms of receiving yards, I don't know if there was a wide receiver that was 30 years or older. Hmm. And so it's a young man's game, even out wide. And so that draft and develop is, is really upon us. And so you have to draft and you have to develop them. And it's almost like, yeah, I can give them one big contract, but then when they sign that big contract, I need to start thinking about who is eventually going to replace them because it's going to be hard to keep two and three high price receivers so you always have to have a young one developing in the hopper to eventually replace the number one that you have on the team. Last wide receiver, number one overall, Keyshawn, Keyshawn. Johnson, yeah. 1996 mm. to the New York Jets. And my favorite Keyshawn Johnson story, Pete Prisco. It's actually Pete Prisco's uh, Keyshawn Johnson story, but he's at the combine in 96. And, of course, Pete's digging around trying to dig up uh, CRAP. And, and so he goes, uh, hey, Keyshawn. He goes, Keyshawn was uh, Keyshawn. And, uh, hey, Keyshawn, what would you think about playing for Tom Coughlin? You know, thinking he was a – and uh, Keyshawn looks over at him and goes, Coach Coff, he cool. <laughs> so that's uh, – <laughs> so I uh, didn't get what he was looking for, but Coach Coff, he cool. <laughs> you got so, the quote. That's right. good. Uh, happy Hour Radio tomorrow, 4 o'clock on 1010XL AM in Jacksonville. Jeff Logman and I will have defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell in studio with us. We'll get his thoughts on some of the new additions in free agency and what they could bring to this Jaguars defense. Of course, pass to the draft, 6 o'clock, Monday through Friday, NFL Network with our friend Bucky Brooks. And, uh, John, you'll have stuff all over the website coming up. I will. Uh, Bucky and I, uh, starting next week, I think, uh, uh, will be uh, – writing draft on jaguars.com i don't know if bucky knows that yet but i'm i'm telling him i do uh, but do. yeah and and uh and again the reason i mention it is uh he's so good on these shows but digging down deep and uh writing about these guys i really enjoy bucky's stuff when it comes in i think fans will too so looking forward to that yeah. uh bucky we'll talk to you again next week should be a lot of fun, guys. Looking forward to it, my man. Bucky Brooks, NFL Network, John Osier, Jaguars.com. I'm J.P. Shadrick. For our producer, Joe Fortunato, thank you for listening to the Huddle Up Podcast.